Well, I'm glad that you are here today, and this is the, the final message in the, in the Ripples series. Uh, many of you probably could testify about the ripple effect that somebody has had on your life. The, just their walk with Christ and the ripple effect that had on you. It, maybe it was a parent or a grandparent. Perhaps it was just a, a good friend from work or a best friend at school. But for lots of you, probably, you could tell us stories about somebody that you've looked up to, somebody that you've admired, somebody who's helped you, somebody, just the ripple effect, just the way that they live their life really affected your life. And, and the crazy thing is they probably didn't intentionally do that. They weren't intentionally trying to impact your life. They, they were just genuinely living their lives for the Lord, and you noticed. And that's the ripple effect. That's what we've been talking about in this series. And some of you are, are brand new. You, you have been with us in this series. So I'm going to rehearse it real quick, what we've talked about so far in this series. The first message we looked at was called Day by Day. And what we talked about in that message is that when God impacts a person day by day, eventually that life will impact others. If you find anybody where God is impacting their life day by day, eventually that life will impact others. And then we talked about having an outward focus. We all have the tendency to drift, to drift inwardly in our focus. We all do. We all have the tendency to make life about and uh, to make life and church about us and what we want and what we need and what we prefer. But the best way to multiply your life is to start living not for you, but to live for the gospel. Then we talked in the third message about being a disciple maker. And I said in that message, don't just be a Christian. Be a disciple maker. You see, God uses everyday people like you and like me to help other people become devoted followers of Christ. And so then in last week in the fourth message, it was called Dare to Serve. What we looked at in that message is that Jesus measured the ripple effect of our lives by our service, not by our status. He's far more interested in how many people you serve rather than how many people serve you. And so that was last week. Today, in this final message in the series, I want to talk to you about engaging the culture. You see, as you live your life for Jesus, you are eventually going to bump into a culture that doesn't know Him. And most of the times, they don't even care. This graduating class that we are recognizing today, they're going out into a culture that hardly resembles the culture that many of us grew up in. Would you agree with that? That the, when, when you graduated from high school, the culture that they're facing now is totally different from the culture that you faced when you went out after graduation. I mean, compared to just a few years ago, we have a, a completely different set of ideas about what constitutes acceptable behavior. I got several examples that I could give you. I'm just going to give you four real quickly. Uh, but some of the most recent things that have happened in our culture, just to show you how quickly things have changed in the culture of America. On April the 24th, 2015, former Olympian Bruce Jenner made a jaw-dropping admission to ABC's Diane Sawyer when he said to her, for all intents and purposes, I am a woman. That shocked many people when he not only said that, but he, he made known that he was transitioning into a woman. And by July, July of that year, Caitlyn Jenner made her debut on, Van, on the cover of Vanity Fair magazine. Then she got her own TV show, her reality TV show, and she said on the reality TV show, I am the new normal. 
that was last year in April, in June 6 of last year, June 6, 2015, the New York Post, not a religious publication, but on June 6, 2015, the New York Post ran this article. The headline was, A Massive Silent Cultural Revolution Has Changed America. Twenty days after that, on June 26, 2015, the Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage in every state of the nation. And then most recently, and even more disturbing, on May 13th of this year, just a couple of weeks ago, the Obama administration directed schools across the nation to provide transgender students with access to bathrooms and locker rooms and showers that match not their birth identity, but their chosen identity. Can I state the obvious for you? We're no longer living in Mayberry. The days of Mayberry are gone. It's easy in that kind of a situation to develop a subculture where it's us versus them. But one of the problems with that approach, when we have a mindset of us versus them, one of the problems with that approach is that the us column is getting smaller. You see, there was a recent study done. More than 35,000 Americans were surveyed by the Pew Research Center, and they found that the percentage of adults who describe themselves as Christians has dropped by nearly eight percentage points in the last seven years. That is an amazing drop statistically. Eight percentage points in seven years. Over the same period, the percentage of Americans who are religiously unaffiliated, describing themselves as either atheist, agnostic, or nothing in particular, has jumped by six points in that same time period. In America today, we are seeing what some are calling the incredible shrinking church. And it's happening in virtually every denomination. You know that I'm serving in the South Carolina Baptist Convention, and all the time we're, in our meetings we're talking about we're losing numbers, we're losing churches, we're losing baptisms. It's occurring everywhere. The church's influence and the church's impact on society today is quickly diminishing. If there ever was a moral majority, that moral majority has become overwhelmed by the secularizing and the sexualizing of America. So the question today is this, how do we engage a culture like that? How do we engage this culture without either clenching our fists or wringing our hands? Because I'll be honest with you, that's the response that I've had. Uh, I've done both. At times I've clenched my fist at what I've seen in culture. I've been angry at what I've seen in culture. And at other times, I wring my hands with worry and fear as to where my country is heading. So how do we respond in a culture like this where sometimes we want to clench our fist and sometimes we want to wring our hands? Well, I think the answer is found, thankfully, in Scripture in Acts chapter 17. Would you open God's Word with me to Acts chapter 17?
Let me give you the context while you're finding that. Paul is in, in Acts chapter 17. Paul is in the city of Athens, which was one of the most influential cities in its heyday in all the world. It was the center of Greek philosophy. It was the home to great thinkers like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, men who lived 400 plus years before Paul ever was born. In fact, just last night, Lisa and I were walking through downtown Greenville, and there was a huge video screen there inside a building that we could see through the window, and on that huge, massive video screen was a quote from Socrates. And I thought, that started in Athens. All of that in Greenville today, this huge quote, really goes all the way back to Athens. Well, Paul found himself in that city. Paul found himself in the city of Athens, but not just in that city. He found himself in a culture that was completely different from the culture he grew up in. Now hear that again. Paul found himself in a culture that was completely different from the culture he was comfortable in. It was a pagan culture where the gospel was absolutely foreign to them. A pagan culture where much of the things that Paul had grown up with and the things he was familiar with, like the Old Testament saints and the Ten Commandments and those kind of things, were completely foreign to the people in Athens. Let me show you what I'm talking about in Acts chapter 17, beginning of verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. The, the, the word full there actually means overflowing. It, the city was overflowing with idols. The famous line from that time period, it, it is said that it was easier to find a God in Athens than it was to find a man there. It was full of idols. There were, there were temples and shrines and statues and altars everywhere. This was a pagan culture with a capital P. Not only that, Verse 18, they referred to Paul as a babbler. Look what it says. It says, verse 17, So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Verse 18, A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, What is this babbler trying to say? And then he goes on to say, that they go on to say, others remarked, it seems he's advocating foreign gods. Now, now this was so foreign to them. The, the idea of Jesus and the cross and the resurrection and, and God uh, saving and changing your life, this concept was so foreign to the people of Athens that they said, this is a babbler. We have no idea what he's trying to say. It seems to be, seems to be that maybe he's talking about other foreign gods, little g gods. And here's the reason that they said that in the second half of verse 18. He seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. All of that was so foreign to them in that culture. Now look at verse 19, how they described what he was saying. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? New teaching. 
Paul had grown up with this teaching. He knew about God. He knew about the Bible. And then later as an adult, he became a Christian. Paul understood what all this was about. And the places where he had been understood what this was about. Whether they agreed with it or accepted it or not, the people in, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, they knew this was not new teaching to them. But in this culture, in Athens... The whole thing, the whole message about Jesus and the cross and the resurrection to them was a new teaching. And then in verse 20 it says, You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears. And we want to know what they mean. You're, you're bringing some strange ideas to our ears. How do you engage a culture like that? How do you reach people in a culture that, that do not even pretend to share your values? They do not even pretend to share your beliefs. In fact, they describe your beliefs as strange ideas. What do you do in a situation like that? Do you, do you clench your fist at the perversion and the moral filth that, that fills the streets of Athens? Do you wring your hands at the idolatry and the spiritual darkness that flood that city? How do you respond when the gospel that you, are, that you are sharing is perceived as strange to the people around you? There's some lessons in Acts 17 that I think we can glean from Paul. I'm going to give them to you quickly, very quickly. Can you listen very quickly? Here it is. Number one, it's okay to be disturbed by what you see in the culture. It's okay to be disturbed by what you see in the culture. You say, well, what are you talking about? Well, look in verse 16. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. The word greatly distressed means that this was a deep, visceral experience. That the, the Greek word literally means he... he had a fit. It means an, an outburst of anger. It, it is describing a gut reaction. When I was growing up in Tennessee, we'd describe it this way. He had a hissy fit. You ever had a hissy fit? Do y'all know what that is? When Paul saw that the city was so full of idols, when he continued to walk the streets of Athens, and he saw idol after idol after idol after idol, as, as he saw the idolatry and the spiritual darkness of it all, Paul literally had a hissy fit. It's okay to be disturbed by what you see in the culture around you. But listen to me. But if all you do is clench your fist or wring your hands, you're missing the opportunity to make a difference. It's okay to be disturbed by what you see in the culture in America. It's okay to have a, a gut reaction to what you see in the culture in America. But if all we do is clench our fists, or wring our hands, we forfeit the opportunity to make a difference. Which brings me to the second one. If you're listening quickly, here it is. If, if you really want to engage the culture, you have to dialogue with the people around you. Dialogue with the people around you. Verse 17, it says very clearly, So he reasoned, he talked in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, where it was very comfortable, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened 
to be there. He was dialoguing with the people around him. You know, it occurred to me as I was preparing this message how easy it is for me to clench my fist in anger at what I see in the culture, but then I start shaking my head and scratching my head wondering, when was the last time I actually sat down to talk to any of those people? When was the last time I tried to engage any of those people in a conversation? And wasn't Jesus known as a friend of sinners? Wasn't that his reputation? Wasn't Jesus known as someone who would dialogue with those who were not like him? Wasn't he known as someone who would talk to someone who was nothing like him? And believed nothing that he believed? Let me tell you real quickly, there there are four responses we can have to culture. One is we can conform to culture, compromising the way that we act in order to appeal and appease to the people around us. That's not a good option, but it is an option. Number two, we can isolate ourselves. We can just distance ourselves from culture so completely that we never have very much interaction with the world. And we can sit in our little holy huddles and be isolated from the evil society around us. Again, that's not a good option, but it is an option. Option number three is we can fight culture. That's the one that comes more naturally, right? That's the one that we we feel like, that's what I want to do. I want to fight culture. And can I be real honest with you? There are times when I think that's okay. But listen, make sure you hear everything I say. I believe there are times when it is appropriate to push back and to say no more. I believe there are times when it is appropriate, there's a place to say, listen, I'm going to take a stand on the Word of God. And there's a time, there's a place for us to push back and say to to society and to our leaders, no, sir, we will not allow that anymore. I believe that is appropriate to, to some degree. But the problem is, hear this, hear this, hear this. The problem is that the people we're pushing back against become the enemy rather than somebody who needs to be redeemed. That's the danger of pushing back. That's the danger of saying, we're going to fight culture. There's a place for that. There's a place to take a stand. But you have to be careful. Because too often, when you're in the effort to push back, everybody you're pushing back against becomes the enemy, rather than someone who needs Jesus. The fourth way that you can respond to culture is this. You can engage the culture. That's what we're talking about today. You can actually have a dialogue with the people around you. You can stand firm on God's truth, stand firm with conviction, but also with compassion and engage and dialogue with the culture, which brings me to point number three. Do all that you can to reach the people who are far from God with the gospel. And listen, I want you to listen very carefully, very quickly. Do all that you can to reach the people who are far from God with the gospel. Verse 18 is the key verse in the entire text. Verse 18 says this. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him, and some of them uh, asked, what, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. And they said this because, and I've underlined this in my Bible, you might want to underline it in yours, Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. What's going to change Athens? What's going to change Athens? Is is shaking your fist at Athens and the idolatry that is there, is, is that what's going to change Athens? 
Is wringing your hand at the idolatry and the way it has permeated that society, is that going to change Athens? No, none of that will change Athens. The only thing that will change Athens is the proclamation of the gospel. And ladies and gentlemen, we need to apply that to America. Listen carefully. I know I'm going to get misquoted, so I want to ask you ahead of time, listen carefully. The ballot box is not going to change America. I don't care if it's red states or blue states or purple states, it's not going to change America, not the culture. Clenching our fist is not going to change the culture in America. Wringing our hands is not going to change the culture in America. Paul understood that in, the, in that dark place called Athens, the only thing that would make a difference was the gospel. So it says Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And if you and I are going to make a difference in America today, it won't be because of what we did at the ballot box. It will be because of who we are sharing the Lord Jesus Christ. I just got to tell you, I've got real convicted by this this week. Uh, again, I'm going to ask you to listen carefully because I know somebody's going somebody's going to be offended, or you're going to misunderstand, you're going to misinterpret what I'm saying. I personally have gotten real convicted by this text, and here's the reason. I want to live in a country that is a Christian nation. I've gotten mad over the years that our country is no longer a Christian nation. I I have talked from the pulpit about how we've turned our back on God and we're no longer a Christian nation. And it bothers me. I, I sometimes have a hissy fit that we're no longer a Christian nation. It bothers me. I want there to be prayer in school. I, I, I want our leaders to acknowledge God. I want, I want what you want. I want to have a Christian nation. But I got so convicted this week when I realized nowhere in this book are we instructed to have a Christian America. Nowhere in this book does it say that we are to take, that we are to have, uh, focus on having a Christian nation. What it does say though, again and again and again in this book, is that we're to take the gospel to people in our nation. Does this make sense to anybody? That my perspective, and maybe yours too, my perspective too often has been, we're no longer a Christian nation, when I should have been thinking, there are so many people in our country who do not know Jesus. And I could get so angry and shake my fist at our leaders and our government and say, we're not a Christian nation anymore. And God's saying, why don't you go do something about that? Why don't you go tell somebody like Paul did in Athens, the gospel. Oh, it's so much easier to shake our fist or to wring our hands. It's easier to do that, isn't it? And then the most convicting thought I had, and I'm fast-forwarding, the most convicting thought I had was last night. As I thought of the, the culture and everything that has changed, and I began to ask myself, would Bruce Jenner, I'm sorry, would Caitlyn Jenner be welcome at Mount Airy? Now, don't answer that out loud, but what you think about it. Would Caitlyn Jenner be welcome at Mount Airy? And then I had a bigger question. 
would I even think to invite her? That was the one that made me collapse. I was sitting there at my desk and I was thinking, would Caitlyn Jenner be welcome at Mount Airy? Do we have the kind of church where she'd be welcome? Would Caitlyn Jenner be welcome at Mount Airy? And it was like God was tapping me on the shoulder. He said, I got a question bigger than that one. Would you even think to invite her? So easy to clench the fist. Say, I don't like that. It's so easy to wring the hands and say, I don't know where this country is heading. And God said, what really would make a difference is if you'd have an open hand and say, could I tell you that Jesus Christ has changed my life and I bet he could change yours too. Could I tell you that God loves you just the way that you are and he wants to change you Could I tell you that he died on the cross for your sins and for mine, and Jesus Christ can make you a different person? Alvin Reed, I'll close with this. Alvin Reed, uh, I follow him on, on Twitter. He said, and this is the tweet that he tweeted out yesterday. Some of you don't know what Twitter and tweet is. Don't worry about it. Just listen. Alvin Reed said yesterday in his tweet, it was almost as if he, was, he knew what I was preaching today. He said, so we've lost the home field advantage as Christians in American culture. Good news, the gospel travels well. Hashtag, share Jesus without freaking out. And that it? That's, that's it. I mean, that's the message right there. We've lost the home field advantage in America. But the gospel still works and the gospel travels well. Share Jesus without freaking out. Oh, but, but I want to clinch my, well, I want to, I know, I know, I do too. Just start sharing Jesus, have a conversation, recognize that the ballot box is not going to change our culture. Recognize that just loving people is not going to change our culture. Recognize that, that all those other things that we could try, is, we're going to pass this law and we're going to have this, we're going to, listen, I'm not going to target it's just my personal, I, I've decided I am not shopping at Target, and I've got good reasons for that. And I think there's a time where you draw the line and say, I will not do this, I'm not going to participate. But in that process of saying, I am not, I'm taking a stand, in that process somewhere along the way, we've got to remember, it's one thing to stand against culture, it's another thing to stand against the people in that culture. The people in that culture are the people that Jesus died for. Like you, like me, and like Caitlyn Jenner. So, here's my plea. Here's my, my desire. My, my question to you is this. Will you help us be the kind of place? Will you help us be the kind of church That is saying, you know what, the thing that will make a difference in this Athens in which we live is the gospel. And in those days when you're tempted to clench your fist or wring your hands, I pray that God would say, why don't you open your hand and share me with someone who so desperately needs me. 
Because if we've learned anything in the United States in the last three or four years, we've learned this. We are now living in a country that is a mission field. We are now living in a country, and it's so obvious they desperately need Jesus. Let's pray about that. Father, thank you for loving us all. Thank you that you died for all of us and that you want to change all of us and that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's when individuals change and maybe that's when cultures change. So may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.